Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 215 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here, as always, to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being with us and thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. Now before we get started here, I just want to say a big thanks to the Chain Reaction guys at the Vitus First Tracks Enduro Cup at Ross Trevor rounds 2 and 3. They were a massive help to me. I came off the bike, I broke the brake lever they just didn't have anything that would get me up the mountain again in time to repair it. So Matthew, one of the mechanics for Chain Reaction, was so helpful. He gave me one of the nuke-proof bikes to take up the mountain to keep me riding that day and keep me competing. And if it wasn't for Matthew and the guys there at Chain Reaction, I, I just would have had to retire for the third round of the Vitus Enduro. So my hat goes off. Customer service was unbelievable. And I just want to say a massive thanks. You just don't see that that much these days. And, you know, I know they helped out so many people that weekend. So thanks so much to those guys. I just want to tip my hat and say thanks for keeping me racing, even though my results were not good at all. But you kept me on the trails and you kept me going. So thanks so much, guys. This episode is proudly sponsored by Alta. Here at MTB Tribe, we are super excited to introduce you to our new brand called Alta. Alta is a range of mountain bike clothes and accessories dedicated to basically getting you up on the mountain easier, getting you on your bike easier, encouraging you to go out when the weather isn't really too favourable. It's encouraging you to stay warm, stay dry, stay cosy before you get on the bike and when you come off the bike so you can get your gear home. But the car is not stinking. You don't have to clean that as well as your bike and your gear. Everything's kept in one place. We've got a range of accessories coming out. We have a few already. Our big trail changing robe is a favourite keeping you warm and toasty while getting changed and keeping your privates where they should be privately kept <laughs> with a lot more bikers and car parks etc that is a good thing to be doing um, so keep an eye on us we are developing the range we are a small Irish brand but we are growing steadily and we're growing fast with loads of new products in the pipeline and should be out relatively soon so check us out at ridealta.com or on instas at ride.alta now on to today's show and we are chatting with Ed Shoot who has just published a beautiful book called Gravel Rides Scotland and we chat to Ed about his background from Suffolk, we chat to him about how he got into bikes in the first place, his road riding, how he got into MTB, he moved to British Columbia where he was chased by bears quite often but one grizzly in particular kind of scared him back down the mountain. It's a fantastic story. I don't know how he held his nerve. It's unbelievable, unbelievable story. We chat about his new book, of course, and it's a beautiful book. It's really well laid out, loads of info, loads of great photography. Ed is also a photographer, and the book's a real nice companion to take on any Scottish adventure. We also chat to Ed about his bike travels. He's travelled with his bike all over the planet, some amazing, amazing destinations. We get into that, we get into loads more. He's a super top guy, really easy to chat with, 
and uh, the book is beautiful. So if you're getting into gravel, you're thinking of going there, this book will certainly encourage you to get a gravel bike and get on those trails. So without further ado, let's hear more about Ed. Let's hear more about his new book, Gravel Ride Scotland, and get Ed on the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi Ed, welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How are you this evening, sir? I'm good, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. You are more than welcome, my friend. And um, I know we've been hitting missing this a little bit. We're a little bit late for your your big book launch, which is very exciting, but we've missed it by, where are we now, 20th? So we've missed it by about three weeks, no, two weeks. Ah, anyway, <laughs> we can get into why that happened. <laughs> yeah. You have released, this is your first book, right? Gravel Rides Scotland? Yeah, so I've, I've been doing quite a lot of like articles and writing, and I've been doing my blogs for quite a few years now, I guess, like eight years or something. But yeah, no, it was really, it was a big step forward to do the book. So yeah, it's really exciting to have it out there. Happy days, and thanks so much. You sent a copy through to me, Gravel Rides Scotland. Um, beautiful looking book. Um, we'll definitely get into it, and um, very informative throughout, and very rider focused, which is awesome. Like it's, you know, it's it's really useful. It's really something you could take with you on your on your trips and on your travels and make good use of. So we'll we'll get into it for sure, man. I'm sure you're happy with it. Just for, for, you know, off the top of your head, I'm sure you're really pleased with it. Yeah, no, really pleased how it came out. I was quite quite particular how I wanted it to be done i think i've kind of kind of fixed ideas on it and it's really good to see it kind of come to fruition and and yeah i think the guys at the publishers have really got it nailed on and yeah from the mapping to the layout and and everything i kind of wanted in my head so yeah really really pleased with it yeah yeah brilliant brilliant now let's get into we were originally going to record this a couple of weeks ago you were in france at the time um snowboarding but something happened and we couldn't record it can you tell us what happened well the, the exact evening I was due to, to, to be on the call was, uh, when I was in hospital. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, oh. literally that, that day I was snowboarding and the snow was falling. There was a little bit of what you call dust on crust, snow, snow conditions. And I was kind of hammering it a bit too hard, went off a little drop and catapulted myself into a, a stack of ice, unfortunately. <laughs> so, oh. up pretty badly. So yeah. Um, one of those things. I've been lucky. I've been lucky till now, I have to say. So uh, I can't complain too much. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, where, whereabouts were you snowboarding in France? It's uh, so, so near Saint-Maurice, a little place called Saint-Foy, a um, little resort. Um, really good off-piste there, though. Um, really quiet and loads of kind of untracked snow on the side. So it was, um, yeah, there's a family resort. So, yeah, it sounds wow. like a Narnia, But actually, there's, there was some pretty good terrain there. And I was, yeah, just... Get a little bit carried away, maybe, if I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Like, how did you go on there as far as the hospitals and all go with your shoulder? How did, because you had to get operated on in France, right? Yeah, it was one of those things because I landed and it hurt. I got myself up and I was like, oh, what have I done? Have I just strained it? I don't know quite what I've done to it. Uh, so I snowboarded down from the top of the mountain, like, totally, like, not using my arm thinking don't fall don't fall and as i got further down like the shock kind of started kicking in and i mm. felt kind of sick and i was like oh yeah this is not good something something pretty serious has happened here so i was with my wife and we, we got down so right we'll go to the hospital so we went into the hospital in borg and maurice and they're obviously set up for injuries and skiing and and i guess cycling in the summer as well so we went in and and they were great like really really good and they did 
3D scans, x-rays, everything on it and got it kind of the diagnosis dialed and, and said, you know, we know exactly what you've done and you're going to have to have surgery on it because it's, it's kind of like it was a complete displaced fracture and uh, AC joint um, separation all in mm. one. So um, it wasn't it wasn't the greatest outcome, but yeah, they did. A, I think, well, hopefully they've done a good job. They, they got him into surgery quick and um, yeah, ruthlessly efficient French healthcare. It was really good, really good, actually. Yeah, happy days, man. It's great you got taken in really quickly. I think that's pretty important when you have an injury like that. And I, I, yeah, a good education point for people. Even though we've had Brexit, actually, yeah, yeah, E111 or whatever it's called is you need a global one, but it's still valid. So actually, um, yeah, it's a good reminder to people to have that because I had it still, and that saved me 80% of the medical costs. I had insurance as well, but actually. It still it still saves you money, so it's worth checking. You've got one of those still. Um, not a lot of people knew they're still valid. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, you see, I would never even have thought of that now going to France with the whole Brexit thing. I, that would have just went over the top of my head. I yeah, 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 they said, "Have you got?" It? And I was like, "Oh, it's in my wallet." Yeah, <laughs> is it still valid? It was good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good to know. <laughs> yeah, learning point for for the podcast. There you are. Happy days, man. Happy days. Now, how are you feeling now? That's been a couple of weeks or so. Like, how's the shoulder healing? How how are you feeling? Ah, uh, yeah, good. Yeah, it's it it's got to that. I, I've never really had a big injury, like I said before. I've been pretty lucky with all my adventures and stuff I've done. Um, but yeah, uh, it's got to that point where you kind of you felt improvement every day, and then it's kind of plateaued, and you're like, oh man, this is this is it for the long haul now for a bit until it until it gets better. So. Um, yeah, it's a lot stronger than it was and a lot more comfortable. But um, yeah, I've got to check up tomorrow actually in, with a surgeon here in, in Scotland. So I'll, uh, I'll get an update tomorrow and see. But it certainly feels like stronger and more comfortable. So fingers crossed it's, it's on the right track. But we'll we'll see tomorrow, I guess. <laughs> yeah, happy days, happy days. Well, that's cool. Listen, we'll get stuck in here. I want to chat to you a wee bit just about your progression to, to gravel biking because I know you've went through the road thing and the MTB thing. Um I want to chat to you a wee bit. It was quite hilarious when I was right, reading in your book about being chased by bears in BC and stuff like that. So <laughs> uh, I would like to hear that for sure. Um, but where did you grow up, Ed? Are you, are you from? You're from the UK, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm from Suffolk um, in the east, so um, east of England. So yeah, not not mountain biking terrain. I, I'm not even sure there's much gravel there. I'm trying to think it's mostly muddy tracks probably and flat forests. Um, so yeah, yeah, not in Scotland, but yeah, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Did you start in two wheels quite young then? When did you get into the whole two, the world of two wheels? Yeah. Uh, I always, I always was a, into biking. I just because of the nature of where I was, it was road riding. When I grew up, I got like a rally to suit road bike and used to just explore the, the lanes and go out and just different place every time and get out on the roads. And, and then that kind of led to doing a little bit of time trials, I guess. My brother was older and he was quite, quite quick on a bike and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of trying to keep up with him. And so I got into time trials a bit, but I was never, I'm six foot four and I'm blaming that on my, my poor performance. And that. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I kind of did that for a bit. Uh, and then I entered my first mountain bike race at Thetford Forest, which I don't know if people know is kind of, good trails but very very flat and i guess for my road riding i've done and stuff it's it just put me in a good position and i, I kind of went into a race and did pretty well and that's kind of where i got the mountain bike bug from i think mm, yeah yeah okay like when you were doing the road bike and did you 
get into that just because of where you lived? Do you think that there wasn't much, like there, I take it there wasn't much of a mountain bike scene there? No, there really wasn't. I was, I guess there's, some of the kids got into motocross um, bikes, but in terms of mountain biking, it was just kind of showing my age a bit, I guess it was, it was kind of taken off, but there was some XC racing um, in places, but I didn't really get into it. I just, it's just so accessible to get, you know, a road bike and the roads are pretty quiet in Suffolk and you could just go out and ride. Um, yeah, a couple of friends, we used to just go out and, and road ride bikes, it was just, um, road bikes just for fun, really. So yeah, like you say, it's real lack of, anything legal to ride bikes on and even the footpaths and stuff we used to try and ride a little bit yeah it wasn't up so much it was just kind of muddy field edges so yeah it's just going to force you onto the road i guess yeah totally like, are you too young for the whole bmx thing did you miss that craze i lived in i lived in the middle of countryside i think too much growing up so it was like that and like skateboarding there was nowhere in my village to go skateboarding really other than the road and that was too bumpy so yeah, I I never got into either, either of them really, like because they're both big when I was growing up. But it just just again lack of anywhere really to be able to do it. Um, yeah, just just roads and fields pretty much and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, like when you were riding there at, at that earlier age and you're out in the road bikes, was the whole adventure thing in you there? Did you just like going out and visiting new places and finding out new things? Was that was that kind of in your DNA then? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, never really reflected on it, but yeah, I think you're right. I I never, other than a fluent time trial route I used to do over and over, uh, which used to I used to hate uh, <laughs> after a while. I used mm. to yeah, different route every time, pretty much. And I always used to try and find. Yeah, I, I I never took a map and always try and get I guess lost and find my way home. It's kind yeah. of what I used to do. Um, yeah, do not massive distances. It was probably like twenty, thirty miles or something like that when I was younger and. Yeah, just, just, I guess I've always done that in hindsight from that point on is just different routes. I always wanted to do different routes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Fair play. Fair play. So you moved to mountain biking a little bit. Like, how did you initially find out about that or how did you get into that? It's a good question, really. I don't really, I guess it was through, I had a couple of friends at school who were into motocross and then they kind of got into mountain bikes and I thought, oh, I'll try it. And, and my dad got a, he had a friend who ran a bike shop who got some, rally mountain bike on the cheap for me uh much reluctance i think because it was like the you know back in the day it was what the the rebellious kids were doing was mountain biking and uh but i managed to persuade him and he got he got mountain bike for me and i just yeah just loved it and just fell in love with riding on tracks paths everywhere um getting away from the roads i guess um but yeah probably those kids at school i was going to hang out with they they were skillful, I think, but they were never particularly fit. And I guess I had the fitness, not the skill. So we kind of different paths, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. The motocross thing is really interesting, or the trials riding, you know, if, if that's your background. Like, we have a couple of guys here in Northern Ireland and Ireland, well, more than a couple, but quite a lot of the real good ones have come from that motocross background. And when they jump on a mountain bike, it's just the speed and the size of jumps and drops not just doesn't phase them at all they just they throw their leg over that they adapt their skills to the mountain bike or they transfer their skills to the mountain bike and they are fast rocket machines man it's unbelievable yeah no really and and i think i've always found that and even more recently been a lot better at mountain biking um 
this, this guys who come from that background and they find, for example, e-bikes really light and flickable and can move them around. And I've always had lightweight <laughs> cross-country bike. And I'm like, I can't, I've got no upper body strength. And it's just a completely different way of looking at riding the bikes. And I guess, it, yeah, it comes from that. Um, yeah. yeah. Like that's nuts. That that's the first time I've heard somebody saying that what they've jumped on an e-bike and thought, wow, this is light. This is you know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I certainly don't. But yeah, yeah, I know people do. Classic man, classic. Uh so when you get into the mountain bike thing, you're out in the forest. Did you like that aspect of it getting out in the forests, getting out in nature, getting out in the the wilderness more or less? Yeah, you know, I really liked it. Um yeah, Fairfield Forest was kind of where I did most of it. Um, still a little bit from where I was in Suffolk, but it wasn't too far. And I just loved like the berms, the bumps, the just hammering stuff around there flat out. It was, yeah, just awesome. And then from there, like I took it on holidays, and I always remember my <laughs> my dad uh, having a go at me because I was riding. We were in Devon, I think, and I was riding all the cliff top footpaths, mm-hmm. <laughs> like feet from the from the cliffs, and like um giving him a fright uh but yeah just hammering it down those kind of anywhere i could could go kind of i'm not convinced i was mostly on bridal ways as you're supposed to be as a kid you go wherever you want don't you but um yeah just let me explore literally anywhere and uh yeah just took it everywhere with me wow cool like the mates you were mountain biking with there was there much of a scene you know did was there guys out building trails and was that whole thing happening did you get into that did you get involved in that no not really i the closest I kind of got to it was as there was a big kind of country state down the road that was all like off limits and kind of sh- for shooting and all that sort of stuff. But they did let an XC race go through the grounds and I used to, I knew where the course was. So I used to go in and sneak in and, and ride the XC course when it wasn't, wasn't allowed for the racing. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we did a little, a little bit there, but that was probably the closest I got to it. Um, so yeah, just that kind of trying to, improve some of the, the the corners and stuff there but yeah it was pretty far uh, i don't know far to get to kind of any kind of club or scene i think um unless yeah. I, remember, I wasn't part of it there was. <laughs> yeah man cool and uh you didn't fancy taking the race thing a, a step further and getting you know quite into it or getting serious about it uh yeah we kind of so i went to uni in, in york um so i chose that for mountain biking pretty much because i thought it's pretty nicely located for going out to the moors and to the dales and to Dolby Forest and stuff. Um, and that's where it kind of really exploded for mountain biking. And we did a lot of riding the bike club out in the uni. Um, and we did some racing, but um, we thought we were quite quick, probably as with big friend Steve, who we both used to race against each other. And we, we always, we started in the fun category. And we just, we liked winning the fun categories. And then we moved up to the next category and um, we kind of progressed in, in the kind of non-elite level racing, um, kind of pushing each other a bit. Uh, but we never trained properly or did any kind of real serious um, preparation for it. But, yeah, I did enjoy it. But I just, um, yeah, I think I was naive to to what real training was at that point. So we were more just in it to get out into the hills and we'd go out into the dales and just explore, really, I think is probably what I preferred. Yeah, yeah. Back then, was it, was it more XC downhill? I take it enduro wasn't kind of a thing then. Yeah, that's about 2000, um, year 2000. So it was, yeah, Enduro was, was nowhere to be seen really then. It was literally, yeah, you'd have your XC on the Saturday and your downhill on the Sunday for race weekends and um, not not much in between. So, yeah, it was, it was all XC, um, really. 
we're quite challenging stuff though. We used to do the is it the Simba series, I think, up in Yorkshire and some of those courses were pretty technical. I don't know if they still are these days, but they felt like it at the time in the yeah. bikes. And that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they friggin' are for sure. Like, you know, did you ever update your bike or did you stick with that rally? Uh, no, no, I'd, uh, I had, um, had various bikes, all fairly like XC. Um, yeah, got my Mazoki Z4s on on it. And what else did we have? I uh, can't remember now, but it went from a steel frame to a aluminium frame and kind of, yeah, always gradually upgrading it as much as student budget allowed really um awesome. yeah most of it went <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome now you moved to british columbia and canada when was that and how did that kind of happen uh so a, a couple of trips out there the first one was after uni i went out um on a working holiday visa for a year uh and kind of went out there explored based in golden worked out of golden bc um kicking horse mountain resort um so yeah did the bike in there in the summer with mount sevens kind of the famous one with the red bull psychosis race which they've, re- they've reintroduced again so that was there um and yeah just just on a like i said working holiday visa for a year so kind of yeah loved it explored traveled around a bit rode bikes it was good yeah yeah did you get any snowboarding there a little, not not really. Um, it was all about the bikes, to be honest. Um, yeah, no, I, I didn't didn't really. It was it, it was later on. I then went <clears throat> back to the UK and then moved out to New Zealand, and and it was actually in New Zealand I got into snowboarding. Um, wow. Yeah, went out for bikes again, and then yes, stayed again and and got into snowboarding out there. So we cycled. Um, so yeah, the, the BC trip did a bit of touring. Um, it's a really cool trip actually out to the Queen Charlotte Islands off the west coast, pretty remote. And Haida Gwaii is the kind of national park out there. It's an absolutely stunning place. We did a tour of those islands around Prince Rupert and stuff, and um, a bit on Vancouver Island as well. It's a little bits and bobs. So it's kind of where I started to get into exploring by bike, I guess, a bit more. Mm-hmm. And was this all done on, I'm sure it wasn't a mountain bike, but it was all pedal par anyway, right? Uh, yeah, I had a I had a Rocky Mountain Slayer, so it was a mountain right. bike. Wow, yeah, and, uh, yeah, like a yeah, it's it a good bike, like. Uh, and then yeah, bought a van, did the whole van life thing. To it, I guess before it was a thing, so we had a little Chevy, uh, and then went around yeah biking, and then did little tours and stuff on that trip. Yeah, um, is there any mountain bike trails on Vancouver Island? Is there any like parks there? Yeah, there's there's loads now. I think at the time yeah. we. Went to, I can't remember now, but we went to somewhere with some quite good riding and then we went to one of the little islands, Salt Spring Island or somewhere I think it might have been. Had good good little little trails, nothing nothing gnarly, but little fun trails as well. So yeah, it's just everywhere seemed to be. I just, wherever you stopped in BC, it used to be the local shop would tell you where a few trails and I'm sure it's even, well, yeah, I've been back since and yeah, it's just grown since. So yeah. Yeah. Um, like Vancouver Island, even though, you know, it sounds small, but I know it's big. It's about the size of Ireland, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but that's very remote, right? So that must have been coming from the UK to there. Like, that is very remote. That's like the end of the earth kind of stuff there, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the, well, the, the one, the Queen Charlotte Islands, people probably have to look up on the map. That's that's the edge of the earth. <laughs> Like it's like a seven-hour ferry journey, I think, from Prince Rupert, which itself feels like the end of the world. Um, and I think Prince Rupert is that kind of place where it's 
for like 300 of the 360 days a year it rains um so like ridiculous more more than kind of irish rain like levels of <laughs> the charts um and it just feels like you yeah like the camping platforms were raised so you didn't flood and everything was um i just remember getting there and being like where have we come to cheese <laughs> and were you doing that yourself you you were with somebody right yeah 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 um yeah just the two of us um yeah all right cool cool like was that the first time you had done something like that or you know to that extent or to that size yeah uh i guess so i done um so that was after after uni i had gone out to uh southeast asia um i'd actually come down with like a like a fatigue like a what's it called like a post-viral fatigue thing uni so i I wasn't feeling great um my sister was working out in singapore so i just thought well i'll I'll go out and chill out (laughs) out there and see yeah so i went out there and and toured around and i felt i don't know just just the climate and getting out there and away from everything kind of started to feel a bit better and then yeah i went out had quite a good time traveling around and then i got the working holiday visa in canada and a similar thing i just worked my, my way back into fitness and little bits of biking and uh like a, a nice lifestyle out there of working and, and riding bikes and nothing too stressful and i kind of yeah built my strength back up again from not feeling great for quite a few months towards the end of uni so yeah um both those trips were the first time i've been overseas to be honest i think um yeah two nice resorts for sure <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you went to bc then you went to new zealand after bc did you uh yeah, I, I then had this idea I wanted to go and work in finance in London, so I went down got a job. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I lasted 12 months uh, and quit and then went to New Zealand. <laughs> so it was pretty short-lived. But, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, like that was that. just a – that was a 180 flip right there from, you know, travelling around the ends of the earth in Vancouver and all that to getting into <laughs> finance in London. Wow. Yeah, it felt like a – yes. Yeah, it felt like mistakes. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had, it was a graduate scheme, so I had a, a deferred entry, which is what let me it's funded and helped me let me do that year of travel. So, so I did that. I, was, I think it was eighteen months. I stuck it out for, and um, uh, I just it wasn't for me. Like I was mountain biking in the night down steps and stuff around London just to try and get out and do stuff. But um, I just saved really. Hard. I knew I wasn't going to do it for, for very long, so I just saved really hard and tried to trying to keep some money to do something cool. Yeah, um, New Zealand is just looks amazing, and anybody I know that's went to New Zealand just wants to live there. It's just one of those one of those places. You know, how did you find it? Did you really love it? Yeah, it was, it was cool. So we this was kind of the first big tour I did with my my wife or now wife. We went at the time, I guess. Um, so we went uh, from the very north and tried to get to the very south um, over three months. So we we took mountain bikes with like slick ties on um yeah and set out and just absolutely clueless you know like the classic way too much stuff like not set up mm. for it kind of rolled out of auckland to, to head north to start and uh yeah it was um it was pretty uh pretty exciting to, to kind of get out on the road and and then you learn all your mistakes of what you should and shouldn't do on these kind of trips but it was good yeah, it was really good yeah so you were kind of you're almost doing the the bike packing thing then um, I suppose a wee bit ahead of the time, really, because that seems to have got really popular as well. 
Yeah, it was. It, 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 I wish it was a thing then. So we had panniers and we tried to do off-road links and tracks as we went through New Zealand. So the idea was we'd we'd dump the stuff and then we'd go and ride the trails or we'd we'd ride some of the long distance routes. So we did some of the things like the Rainbow Road and the Queen Charlotte track for those who know it um, on the South Island, and then some of the stuff around Rotorua and. It was good. I'm glad we had mountain bikes because I really wanted to kind of stop and on the days off we'd go ride mountain bikes um, and then ride on on that tour down. But yeah, we we had these panniers and the racks. I mean, how many times we broke racks, but they mm. weren't reliable. And from that point on, I always knew that there must be a better solution to to touring than having pannier racks. I think and and all that junk. So yeah, it was definitely on my mind. We'll probably get to it, but, but yeah, bike packing and that's yeah. Yeah, wow. Did you make your way over to Tasmania when you were in New Zealand, did you? No, I didn't go to Australia at all. Uh, literally just New Zealand. We spent we spent the right. time there. Um, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a nagging regret having been all that way and now feeling like it's hard to justify going all that way again and not going to Australia. But no, we didn't. We didn't, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, I know, um, you know, New Zealand and Tasmania and, and all those places are just blowing up with mountain biking. You know, you just have some amazing purpose-built trails and stuff there now. It's just getting so big over there. Um, I've had a few people on the podcast from Canberra, you know, the capital of Australia, and they always head to Tasmania because there's so many good trails there and stuff now. Um, yeah. So it's, it's got really massive now over there. Like, it's interesting. Did you see a big scene when you were there? Yeah. Uh, in New Zealand, it was pretty big. Um, so I stopped to work in Wanaka in the South Island, which is kind of next to Queenstown. And it was before, well, it was already pretty big, but I think since then it's, it's kind of exploded beyond beyond belief. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was like sticky forest was like the local trails and there's really nice trails and um, yeah, loads of good stuff there. And then like I said, Queenstown down the road, we'd go and ride some of the stuff there and Snow Park, which was opening as dirt farm in the winter and Cardrona was the ski resort there they were just getting it was just getting into biking they were just launching their kind of summer bike parky trail offer it was kind of limited but was, you could sense it was yeah just it was about to explode I think when we were there really yeah well when were you there what what year was that <laughs> good question uh 2006 I think 2005 mm. to 2006 I think okay all right yeah, so it's, it's got big quite quickly then. Mm, yeah. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So you, you're in New Zealand. When do you decide to head back to BC then? Uh, so then we came back to the UK for three years and moved to, to Edinburgh. Did we? Something like that. Yeah. Good bacon there too. Oh, no, we went to France in between. That. I knew there was something in between. We went um, <laughs> We spent a uh, winter in Morzine area in France. Um, wow, okay. But yes, we did that. Then back to the UK. Um, what I call got proper jobs, saved up again. And then we we got married. Uh, and then after we got married, we left and moved out to BC. Um, to, to see, yeah, to basically again on a working holiday visa. Uh, see how we got on. But with an idea of maybe we would make it longer. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and you went to William Whistler at that stage. No, we moved to Thurney, um, right? Which is out towards the Rockies, kind of towards the Alberta border with BC, kind of pretty remote. Um, mm-hmm. We get to the best because there's a lot of wildlife there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
um, that didn't go quite as far north, but yeah, we got over to Whistler and we rode all the kind of hot spots in BC as well. It was great. Um, yeah. Yeah, amazing spot, amazing spot. Um, now, I may be misquoting here, but am I right in saying that one of the reasons you got into gravel was because you couldn't get away from the bears fast enough on your mountain bike? <laughs> and I'm sorry, but I, 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 this, this will make everyone who knows me cringe because I always throw my bear story in. Because I saw a lot of bears, I like to say, like because I often went out after work on my own and, and rode them. Obviously, that's the most dangerous thing to do because I don't hear you coming and you forget to make noise and stuff. But I must have seen 20, 20 bears or so. And I was kind of getting a bit complacent with them. And there was like a, the Toonie Tuesday race, mountain bike race. And I was going up to, to session the track for that. And I was pushing up and I kind of heard this this almighty roar like in front of me. And I thought it was someone taking the piss because, you know, it sounded like a cartoon bear. Oh, <laughs> like, no. And I was like, what was that? What was that? And then I looked and... Uh, I had something behind me. I had something in front of me. And then all, the next thing I know is it's like a full-size grizzly charging me like down the trail, roaring its head off. And I, I, I didn't even realize they made that noise. And you could see like the muscles rippling. And I was like, oh, man. So I, I was like, I'm not going to get far out away from it. So I'm going to do what you're going to do is hold my bike above and like, go away, bear, go away, bear, and like try and stop it. Um, because, yeah, I had no chance. That was what I was thinking at the time. And I thought, I'll do what the textbooks say. Anyway, I did that. And it stopped, and I was like, "That's cool." It stopped, right? It's working, and then it got on its hind legs. Oh <laughs> no! It ripped with a big, massive roar at me, and I was like, "Like twelve foot of bear, like I don't know, I don't know how far I wasn't wasn't particularly far away at this point." I had my bike in like downhill mode because I've been sessioning the trail, and I was like, "I'm getting out of it." <laughs> I just jumped on the bike, and it let me let, let it chase me basically, and um, I managed to get away from it. I just hammered the trail oh. down. Like, so like what yeah. what kind of trail were you on there was it gravel or was it like a proper enduro, like an like what you call enduro we weren't calling it then i guess but like a yeah kind of semi-techy downhill mountain bike trail so yeah it was it was it was cheating it was like apex in the corners so i was taking the, the trail obviously and it was like cutting through the trees behind me <laughs> shortcut stuff i could hear it was like ah <laughs> it was taking the strava line was it ah dear man like that's so you're surrounded with forests nobody else there at all yeah wow. I, yeah it was um like I hammered it and I didn't look back until I got home pretty much like genuinely I was shaking I got in and was just pacing around I was like proper thought I was going to die type situation and I kind of wish I had a GoPro you know so everyone was like oh I should have GoPro on I was like yeah it would have been mad um but yeah I was yeah it was properly sketchy um I have to say yeah man that that's crazy like you know I know black bears can be quite timorous and quite you know scared of you kind of thing um though you don't want to get involved with one that's got cubs or anything like that but grizzlies are a bit more aggressive right was it mainly black bears you'd seen up to that time or yeah I, we'd, I'd, I often saw black bears we had one on our deck outside a, a house in, in Fernie, like, <laughs> so yeah you get a little bit complacent and i had seen grizzlies out like i've seen them two or three times at least i think and we'd seen one on like a backcountry ride we'd seen them with cubs and they just run mm. away but in hindsight what had happened i think was the noise behind me i reckon was cubs and i was between the oh. and i was standing my ground and like roaring at the bear <laughs> which was completely not the right thing to be doing in that scenario so i think i think that's why i was unlucky because even the, some of the guys you worked with who grew up in the like in the 
national parks and stuff where there's loads of bears that they'd never heard of stories like that like really really unusual so um yeah just bad luck i think yeah wow like what's one of those things like in the wild like when you see it like that up close and you say the muscles rippling rippling through the hair and stuff like dude you know you're why did you just not go into a ball and just start crying <laughs> <laughs> I was confident on my downhill times. I was like, I've, I've got. <laughs> no, I, I, it's, it just takes over. Your instinct takes over, I think. You see it. And um, like I say, I, I can't believe I stood my ground. <laughs> like I said, you know, insight. Um, and I kind of reflect on that. And I, yeah, it just, um, it's just the instinct. You don't really know what's happening. And it's just, I was just blown away by that. Like the noise and the size of it, it was just surreal. Like um, to think that. Yeah, it's coming at you at that size and that speed as well. I was like, yeah. assuming, assuming it kind of gave up the chase because it got me away far enough away from its cubs. But um, yeah, never quite. Any, I don't know what what quite happened. Aye, it's one of those things. Like, imagine you'd have came across that on foot. Like, yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, climb a tree or something. I don't know. Like. <laughs> You'd run probably, which again is meant to be the worst thing to do, isn't it? But in that scenario, if you're between the bear and the cubs, then if you don't run, I think you probably would, yeah, you would have been worse. So it's, yeah, I took bear spray with me. I have to say, I don't know how useful it would have been, but I, I didn't have any with me on that. I don't know if I would you spray it in that scenario. I don't think I would have. Yeah, that's so weird that you know, weight tech comes about three foot from you and then spray it with some stuff in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Brilliant, man. So, when did you move into the gravel side of things? Then you thought, right, this mountain bike isn't fast enough for these carry ons. I need to get myself a thinner, tired gravel bike. Is that the way it went? <laughs> yeah, well, just in parallel, I guess, of that. I, I So, I worked in a bike shop and they had um, this is a Kona bro scheme where you, you, you know, employees get, get a really great deal on on the kind of bikes and um i, I was like i'm gonna get a uh, jake the snake the cyclocross bike because there's just endless miles of gravel forestry roads in bc and i just mm. wanted to get out and explore them because the roads are pretty horrible like they're all generally main roads and they're not great for road riding and i was kind of missing that going faster and further kind of thing which i guess has been my mantra since but um yeah just i've got one of those and all the guys in the shop were getting downhill bikes and um so, yeah, they, they took the piss quite a bit out of me because I got a cyclocross bike and, like, a capital mountain bike. And, um, and I remember being like, no, no, I'm going to get one. And they're like, you'll never use it, you'll never use it. And then I kind of, yeah, just fell in love with it. I got, got, got out on the, the forestry roads and, again, you just come across wildlife. You, you come across hidden kind of gems of places you'd never kind of find. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where, where I got the, the bug for it, I guess. So, yeah, the cyclocross thing then, that's how different is that from a gravel bike you would see today well this was in oh, I must be 10 11 years ago so, so gravel bikes hadn't really they, they weren't a thing i think it's yeah been. yeah that's so, what i'm thinking so this was that the gravel bike of the day then the cyclocross thing yeah essentially yeah i i'm sure like surly and some of those brands out there had kind of all adventure bikes out there but something that was light and fast was pretty much yeah it was pretty much a cyclocross bike so you know set up for for racing fundamentally so the geometry is not you know not what you would like now i guess with the gravel scene exploding and the, the choice up is, is so much better but yeah at the time that's is either that or getting an xc 
hardtail and going super semi-slick and, and flat bars on it. But yeah, that was that was my choice, I think. Yeah, wow. I'm, actually, I'm blown away that Kona had a bike called Jake the Snake. That's class. After the wrestler, <laughs> right? <laughs> it wasn't why I got it, but yeah, I quite like the name, so yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, so you get into that scene then. Um, did you stay in BC long or did you just, were you just no. there for a year? Or? Yeah, we didn't, I won't go to, we didn't get our visa renewed. Uh, oh. So, um, yeah, so we, we, we had to go home. Um, I would have would have done, but yeah, um, we, uh, yeah, <laughs> we didn't get our visa renewed. Uh, and then, um, yeah, ended up coming back. So I was like, oh, I'm not coming back to the UK yet. So we moved moved to Chamonix in France. Um, I got a job there. So so we moved back from, from BC there, which was yeah, a little bit sad to leave, to be honest. Um, but yeah, is what it was. So yeah. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And then you, you come back to Scotland. Um, when did you get into the, the kind of doing the photography and the writing and, and that kind of thing? That's what you're kind of based around now. You're... you're, you're are you what, what is your job title now if you don't mind me asking well it's, i still work um well yeah so now i work in the enterprise agencies sort of as a cycling specialist so i'm promoting so promoting um cycling in the south of scotland really wow awesome yeah so yeah so that's it's a bit, yeah still a bit of a journey together but yeah i basically use some of my the stuff i picked up doing finance and the um stuff with that and, and and kind of yeah knowledge from biking and stuff so yeah that's where i've ended up um um but yeah in terms of the journey getting there yeah i went back into kind of accounting and then kind of combined that with ski to the job i got in chamonix was doing kind of a bit of accounting and in the ski industry so mm. kind of halfway back towards getting a getting a job here yeah wow cool um so how did the book come about then, Ed? How did you decide to write a book? What made you want to do that? Uh, so, yeah, I've been doing – so when I went to Chamonix, I kind of got – that's when I really got into, like, well, we both did, got into big trips. So we we took the kind of Kona bike I had and went to – I went to Istanbul three times in a row for three years Jeez. in a row. And, and then one year we carried on going to China, and, and we tried to do more and more gravel, and we tried to go off the beaten track more and more. So we ended up in Tibet in – Kyrgyzstan in winter, in Russia, China, Mongolia um, trip we did. I'm trying to think where else we went. Um, so we did loads of those big trips and more wow. gravel and started working with Kinesis, helping them kind of refine their tripster, which is their gravel bike. Um, and with Apadura, I, I kind of worked pretty soon after they set up with their bike packing bags, kind of helping them testing and feeding back on, on what we're doing. So I got massively into kind of bike packing, gravel riding big adventure rides and then moved to Scotland and I was doing that to do that with the, the kind of the brands. I was doing more and more photography, more writing. Um, and then I kind of carried on doing that as I got to Scotland and exploring Scotland. So I've been here before for a few years, but yeah, kind of picked up where I left off and just explored my bike. And because I was doing that stuff, I guess, with Kinesis around the, the trips and I had that tripster, which was perfect for it. I just, um, just ended up riding gravel and from that and from my blog, um, got, probably should have got in touch for a friend of a friend actually um and said do you want to write a book and i was like, i'm not someone who says no very much just sometimes to my fault and i <laughs> yeah why not <laughs> uh yeah so three years ago i guess i started the process of, of writing the book and getting the roots i wanted in it and getting the photography done and writing all of them so yeah um that's kind of 
the story of it, I guess. Yeah, wow. So you've traveled extensively. Amazing. Um, have you a favorite place you traveled to there? What would be your, your, if you could go back to one of those places, which one would it be? Uh, Kyrgyzstan, I love. Like I've been, I've been there three times now and it's still finding stuff that I love about it. And um, I don't know if you've seen the Silk Road mountain race that a guy called Nelson Trees has set up. Um, I see that and, you know, kind of chatted to him when he was setting the race up and where he was going and things. And it just blows me away, the scenery. And there's still, he's finding for that race, that places to go that I've never even seen and I've been yeah. near. And it's just a great country. So um, that's probably my pick, I guess. Yeah, wow. And the people are nice and all there, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's the, the beauty of it, I guess, is, is the climate. It's often very dry. Um, so, you, yeah, you can camp, wild camp, and, and everyone's so friendly, like, you can you can not camp. You can stay with people pretty much every night if you're mm. for it because they're just so friendly and um, you feel kind of awkward sometimes because you just you know people won't take money and you feel like you're imposing and stuff. But um, yeah, super super friendly. Yeah, wow, wow. Well, the book the book is lovely. It's um it's really top quality. It's uh, what I like about it. You know, I'm not a gravel rider, but it's quite user friendly. Somebody that's a beginner to it could pick the book up. Um, and really make a, you know, take a good shot at these routes because the book is really well laid out. Good route guides, nice kind of gravel scale as well. And you have all the statistics in there, you know, the distance, the off-road stuff, the grid references, maps. And I take it you took all the images, did you? Yeah, yeah, I took every one, actually. There's, there's wow. Jack, Jack Chevelle took, took one of me, I think, is the only one in the book that's... um. He's a great photographer, by the way. Um, yeah, he took one of me. I think, yeah, pretty much everything else. Yeah, it's a lot of self-shot stuff. Um, kind of came about through COVID as well, so I ended up doing a lot of solo rides as well, um, and partly partly from COVID restrictions as well. So yeah, it's I took the photos in the photos quite a bit as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what I like about it too is, and I don't know if you thought about this when you were, I'm sure you probably did, but it's a good size. You know, you could shove it into a backpack, a riding bag, you know, some of your panniers or whatever. It's a good size to actually take with you. Did you think about that when you were designing it? Kind of, yeah. I, what I really wanted, I, I just feel like your traditional guidebook that has a picture, a map, and a description, I just feel like that's a little bit done. And I think with phones and GPS, you tend to navigate probably off your phones, but it's good to have a backup. But so so it's getting that balance between inspiring you to go out and do the ride, but also be able to, to tell you about the ride more than just a GPX file would. And, and that's kind of what I wanted to achieve with it. So you'd have it on your coffee table because it's like, oh, this is really, oh, I'm going to pick that up and it's going to inspire me to do a ride because I'll look at the photos, look at that kind of, that that's kind of what I wanted from it. So big enough to get that, but still, like you say, small enough to, no, I'm not sure about, I guess, the idea to kind of leave it in your van or your car and, and read it before you get out is kind of what I had in mind more than putting it in. Right. But you could, yeah, I guess you could. It's just about, it's a bit big maybe, but it's, it's kind of on the... Yeah, but I think it's a good size that it's, it's, it's small enough to go in your bag, but it's also big enough to be user-friendly and actually be able to read the stuff on it, you mm-hmm. know? A lot of the guides that are designed to supposed to put in your pocket or something, they're too small. You couldn't read anything on them anyway. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and the maps, because gravel, the distances involved are quite big for some of the routes. Um, but, yeah, quite a lot of the routes. Um, 
I was yeah really keen the mapping was good and we, we couldn't use you know usually you go to OS maps and and we didn't do it as a cost saving or anything we just wanted to get the right maps and we've gone for like an open source map because it was like scalable much more so we could get the same features on but have have it on the same two page spread um but the same detail so i was really pleased with the, the mapping that they did on it because exactly what i wanted to, you know you've got the detail you want but it's scaled that it's user friendly still on on two page you're not scrolling through multiple pages of maps which i know some guidebooks have got so yeah, yeah. so i was really really pleased with how that turned out yeah um did you decide on the layout of the book yourself or was that publishers or how did that work uh they they did the kind of layout um i specified what i wanted from it and did kind of the sections within it um and then they kind of put it you know the the designers put it together for me which was great um yeah and i i I couldn't have done that but i i'm yeah i've got quite critical eye on these things so they get a list of i don't like that that doesn't look quite right that doesn't (laughs) so i was pretty um pretty um keen to get back in touch and and look through all the other guidebooks that have been out there and say, I don't think that works. And you've done that again there. Can we point it to this? So, yeah, so I, I was quite involved in it. But, yeah, no, it's not my skill set to do what they've done with it. Yeah, it's quite good because, you know, when you are kind of reading through it and reading different sections, it does feel like it's laid out by you, by the biker, you know, or by a, a biker. Um, so they don't agree a job in that. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm really, yeah, I think it's, they, they, they do a lot of guidebooks of vertebrates, so they know what they're doing, I have to say. So, uh, yeah, I was really, I was really impressed with, yeah, what they did when they came back. Um, there's no, when I say I made loads of changes, it was like little, I don't know, the the symbol for the gravel ratings, I don't like the way that's like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't massive changes. It was, yeah, it was pretty good, it was pretty good from the start when they done. Yeah, happy days, man, happy days. Now, the roots that you've got in it, how did you decide what to put in there? That's so hard. It was really hard. Uh, it, it, even now, I'm looking at it I'm like, oh, why didn't I put that one in? Oh, oh. But there's there's kind of ignorance, I guess, for me, and I didn't realise is there's a balance of because it is on the upper price point, I guess, of books already as it is. But I want to put more roots in, <laughs> more roots in the line because you're going to have too many pages. No one's ever going to buy it because it's going to cost so much money to print. So we had to kind of get to that sweet spot, which was 28 roots. And then I was trying to get down from, I think I had like 60 planned to get to that 28 in the book. Um, wow, really? Wow. And, and some of them didn't, I rode them, I had weekends of riding and stuff and like none of it worked. And I was like, that's oh, just not good enough kind of thing. And, and that was easy, but there was some, some of it was pretty hard. But yeah, what I wanted to do, uh, and I guess it comes back to my day job or kind of that promoting cycling stuff is I really like that destination feel. So you've got hubs of good riding and you can take your van you can book a hotel and you can stay there and you can do three routes over a weekend or a long weekend so it's quite practical i really hate those guidebooks where you've got routes dotted all over the country and you're never going to do the one in the far corner because it's on its own and you're yeah. not going to do it so i wanted that kind of groups of like three to five routes close together and that kind of helped with the selection i guess of those routes um because yeah they were the obvious ones i think in those areas and even then it was yeah, you know, tweaking and hard to, to settle on them but but yeah I, I was really pleased how that's come out and I think when you see there's like an overview map in the book and it shows that kind of hopefully the logic of them all being quite close to each other so you can link them together to go bike packing or you can link them together into a day ride each each day for a weekend so so yeah that kind of fed into that that process yeah cool man cool um I the 28 that are in the book did you ride all those yourself or did you have a bit of help there from other guys no, <laughs> I read them all. Uh, I get a bit of stick because 
technically I didn't write them all. The friends have been giving me stick because I didn't write them all in the exact order, some of them, because I just did a section didn't quite work. So then I had to write a section to say, well, if I detour from there and I go around. So I, so I haven't written everything in the exact order in the book. There's a couple of, I've kind of tweaked two or three times and I've run, run, written different versions of them. But yeah, no, I was keen to keen to ride them all. And uh, it was a good excuse to get out riding to us. Um, got kids now, so it's my wife will kill me for this, but she knows perfectly well it was a good excuse to go and go riding. <laughs> um, and yet you have quite a good few good stories from that as well. There was one where you were climbing up a, a steep hill and there was a guy passed you in a van or something and said, if you want a lift, and you said, no, I'll go ahead. And then he'd left snacks for you at the top or something. Yeah, that route didn't make it. There was a brutal climb. At oh, the you're joking, mate. Didn't even make it. Oh, no, no. Didn't make it. it was too tough. Like, <laughs> I think it was too tough. And I, like, I made, I was going up and it was getting dark. And this guy in a Land Rover pulled up and he just was like, are you all right? And I was expecting a like, mouthful or something from a Lando. And it was like, it was a lady actually. And she said, oh, you're right. And I was like, yeah, yeah, fine. And the, you know, not, not admitting I was struggling. And then I was like, oh, actually, I've run out of food. I've got nothing to eat. I'm absolutely starving. I'm struggling. Could I, if you get anything you could you could give me to eat and she was like oh no i'm really sorry i'm really sorry i haven't got anything so i was like oh not to worry sorry shouldn't have asked um and i got to the top of the climb and there yeah and the gate was tied like a little bag of biscuits with a note saying for the hungry cyclist so she's obviously driven somewhere got some food come back and got it for me and i was like ah oh. <laughs> it's amazing happy, happy days like you know with a, a man of your experience you know how did you run out of food on that one? Were you just not expecting it to be as tough or? I, I'll be brutally honest. So, so when I was super fit and doing endurance stuff and riding all these big rides, I, I would go for seven hours and have like a drink and, and I'd, I'd just get into the zone of not eating huge amounts because your body's just very efficient, I guess. Um, since, since we had kids, <laughs> that's not quite the same. So, <laughs> so now I kind of sometimes think I've got that ability and I don't. So, um, I, I, I bonk as the road cyclists call it quite significantly more than I used to. So it does catch me out more than it used to, to be honest. Yeah. So did you camp that night then? No, no, I got home. It was, it was downhill from, from the top onwards. So I was all right. Um, yeah, it wasn't a, it was, I did, I did do quite a lot of the routes, um, like combine them bikepacking like three at a time and doing them all as a big, a big bikepacking trip, but yeah, that one wasn't. Um, that wasn't. Wow! Did you eat the biscuits? <laughs> yeah, in seconds. <laughs> <laughs> classic, man, classic. Like, what's the what's the scenery like in some of these rides? Ah, uh, it's yeah, it's amazing. Like, Scotland's oh, I love Scotland. Like, um, I, I yeah, the feedback is the pictures. Hopefully, hopefully show that, and I, I'm glad. Yeah. Because, it really is some of those rides and just stopping and, and every rider came back and it's like that's an amazing ride and and some of some of them i think picking a few like the, some of the kangon ones are just absolutely beautiful and 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 generally unbeatable kind of scenery the pine forests and the quartzy sand track leading over the moors and just to locks that you can stop and swim in and and, and that's yeah that's probably my favorite area in terms of the scenery i think in scotland and uh glen Affric, probably the other one which is slightly over to the northwest another one which is just absolutely beautiful so so yeah there's absolutely stunning routes in there there's yeah there's a whole mix of scenery from the lowlands down here and the borders where i'm based where you've got kind of that beautiful isolation i guess of bleakness which i really like to photograph um where you've got mist on the hills and very few points of reference i think there's a there's a real beauty in that um mm-hmm. in itself but yeah and then you've got your kind of plastic stuff up in 
in the north, I think, yeah. Yeah, wow. And like the majority of these routes you can do in one day, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's quite funny, I guess, coming back to that fitness point of I started off thinking that it'll be over 100 kilometers. And then as my own personal fitness deteriorated during the process, because we've got a second child on the on the way and then born and I realized that the roots were getting short. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> probably quite a good thing because otherwise everyone would be like, what? Um, so yeah, there's a real mix, um, but they're all intended to be to be day rides. And the longest I think is 128 kilometers, which we call the, the Calendar Monster Loop. Uh, and it's great to see quite a few people have gone out and done that as the first ride in the book. Which wow, is really? Awesome. And uh, yeah, saying you know, feedback saying, "Oh, we've done the Monster Loop." I was like, oh, "Why did you do the longest one first? <laughs> um, but yeah, um, the intention is, like I said, that regional thing is though. There's, there's a bit of chat to say, actually, if you look on your map, I'm not going to spell it out for you, but if you look on the map, there's quite easy ways to link quite a lot of them in to make two, three day loops um, and, and bike pack. And, and some people might want to, like that one, I think is better personally. I think it's done in two days is better, but um, hmm. up to people to do to do what they can do. Eh? Yeah, for sure. Um, people that are using the book, um, how would you suggest or advise they use it can they just pick a route and go for it you know you don't have to use it go through the book start to finish kind of thing no do you mean like yeah in skill in terms of being able to, to ride them or just um yeah just just look at one and go yeah that looks good that's yeah. pretty close i'll do that one that kind of thing yeah yeah i think um i hope the so i've got the gravel grade one to five which was really really hard to do but the, the idea being your number one is is super smooth no technical riding you know slick tires are fine on it through to five where you're pretty much getting into old school mountain bike loops um mm. you need some technical riding a bit of skill probably chunkier tires even a bit of suspension i think i recommend so if you, if you can kind of factor that into what you want to do your setup potentially as well you might want to tweak it if you're, you're doing a five rated route compared to a one and then you've got your distances as well. So you know what you're getting yourself in for. And, and like you say, hopefully the descriptions come across that you, you kind of, your surprises are, are listed. There's a few where you've got wet patches to watch out if it's raining, maybe avoid that route. So hopefully hopefully it's all in there. But yeah, the idea being you, you find yourself, and just today I've had a message someone's found themselves in Dumfries and Galloway and he's done a couple of routes he'd never thought of doing and he's never ridden there before and he's just getting stuck into it. So yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. The gravel scale as class um, is really helpful, you know, definitely. And just even the wee logos, the way you have it done is, is really smart, to be honest. It makes total sense to a biker, like. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I hope they're true. It's really hard because you've got so, some of them are like grassy single track. Uh, that's bumpy. And then you've got some that are like bouldery. And it's quite hard to say, well, they're both five, but they're both kind of different technicalities on how you're riding if you know what i mean so so yeah. I hope, yeah hopefully people agree with, with with how i've done it yeah no i think i think it'll work perfect um so ed for somebody getting into this kind of side of things somebody maybe coming across from the road side or the mtb side and want to get into gravel riding a wee bit more what advice would you give them you know as far as equipment maybe and and rides to do how to get started what advice would you say uh just go through i think it's it's a lot of chat you need to have a gravel bike do you have to have a gravel bike to go gravel riding and i think that's the first thing is you don't you can do it on a mountain bike fine you're gonna be a let's face it you're gonna be a bit slower probably on the longer distances but it's not not that 
different really so, so, to kind of get stuck into you if you come from a road background you're probably not going to get away with your road bike so you're going to have to you're going to have to upgrade but um yeah i don't I, I don't want it to be seen as an elitist you need a gravel bike you need your your, your gravel gear you need to have the right gear i think it, it, it just i try to get in the description at the start that it's just about the surface this is gravel like that's that's all it comes down to you you're riding on a particular type of surface predominantly like it's not always obviously but it shouldn't be shouldn't be seen as a thing it's just get out ride the routes whatever bike you've got if you get into it then a gravel bike is better for it because generally cover the ground quicker and easier um and, and if you're looking at one of those you know you can start going down the rabbit hole of tire size and everything but yeah trust try it out and I, and like i said I've had lots of feedback on the book and it's been great to see people just getting into it not necessarily got the perfect gravel bike but you know just get oh i'm going to try this one on my, my old mountain bike and, and and that's that's what it's meant to be it's not meant to be a this is for gravel riders it's it's meant to be a, a section of routes that are on, on gravel and hopefully accessible but at the same time it's not it's not it's his own thing okay sorry kind of on the yeah, tangent but it's kind of i want it to be seen as challenging it's not an easy mountain bike routes if that makes sense yeah totally so it's exploring an adventure and that's it for an into it so they're, they're challenging in that respect but hopefully anyone can get into it and and kind of get stuck into it yeah for sure um as far as the bike uh biking thing goes and and you, you know going out for more than one day and stuff what kind of gear do you use what do you find you know the handiest what are you using at the minute for that kind of thing the bike packing thing yeah, so I've I've always been a real minimalist as as I can be, and I think people are taking that even beyond what I do anyway. But I, I I think you need to to kind of look at what you've got to try and strip it back. Um, so I I do take a tent. I know people take tarps and bivvies. I do tend to take a very lightweight tent, sleeping bag, stove, food, and one change of clothes, pretty much, and some waterproofs. Um, and and try and squeeze that into to a bar bag and a saddle pack. Um, for a wow. weekend. Um yeah that's it go go light is is the key really but make sure you have enough food not because <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you, you can't rely on the kindness of strangers uh yeah <laughs> you've got um obviously boffies i kind of mentioned in the book about I, I don't list where there are boffies on the routes and stuff because i do feel like they're getting very popular and i don't really want to to, to spell it out i feel like you should you should find some of these things yourself but they're obviously an option um to use and that means in theory you can get away with going lighter because you're not got a tent but on that same point i think they are getting very busy so i think packing a bivy bag these days is, is you know essential so you, you you need to have that backup option because they can be full more and more so um so yeah i think taking a bivy bag and hoping to stay in a, a boffy is, is another way i, I do do things so you, you go even lighter than, than taking a tent um and on the hope that you can do your cooking at least in the boffy and then sleep out in a in a bivy bag it's quite mm. cool we're doing as well yeah wow cool cool um how many gravel bikes do you have now <laughs> uh just just one uh wow okay i'm well i'm supported by kinesis so i've got my trips for atr which is i'm not buying so did you think it is like the ultimate gravel bike it's been brilliant um sounds like a massive massive bug but no I've, I've kind of helped the process it's the third version of it and each time i've fed in my improvements and they've taken it on board so i've, I've kind of ended up with my dream bike and i've yeah that's the one i've got and that's all i use so um yeah i use i swap between 
750p wheels with it so if i'm going on a rougher route a grade five route for example i might you know go for the 650b and a almost a two inch tire for for mountain mm-hmm. bike riding. and if i'm on a an easier route i'll go with the 700c wheels and a, a narrower tire size around 40 42 millimeters probably um so yeah so that that lets me mix it up but yeah just need just need the one and it's been, it's been great so yeah yeah class where can this be a start uh the base out of surrey down in the south um in the downs so um yeah the same guys who it's upgrade bikes so they're behind dmr and for mountain bikers it's um yeah the same guys behind that um yeah 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 no wow. they, they, so. yeah very cool man very cool it's good to see you you know doing the uk thing supporting that that's that's pretty awesome yeah no it's good and the same with with the, the bags so working with apadura um since when they set up in 2014, they did the, the, um, yeah, kind of been on a journey and at the same time as I have really exploring how to, to do stuff. And now it's, it's been great to see them as well do so well. And yeah, be almost the, the bag of choice based in the UK and uh, yeah. And um, yeah, out of London, I think, and, and supporting them and, and using their kit has been good as well, I have to say, over the years. So. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, no, so the book was. Was it released on the seventh of April? Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was. It was official launch was the seventh, so it came in early. So the pre-orders were shipped. It was a bit confusing for people. So people had ordered expecting it on the seventh, and then they got their orders in like mid-March. Um, and then Amazon and a few of the other big retailers stick to the seventh. That's you know when the computer says no type thing, and they ship on the seventh because that's what it says. So so yeah, so it came out a little bit of a staggered kind of approach to it. Yeah. Um, been out a couple of weeks officially now yeah okay so it's available where where can people grab the book at is amazon the best place to get it or do you prefer they go somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> my publisher will say direct to uh vertebrate is is the, probably the best place so that's um they've got a new website actually called adventure books for all their guidebooks so right. amazon as we all know they take a massive cut um so uh it's best best through them um yeah, I think you sign up to the newsletter, you get twenty five percent off it as well. So, um, so it's pretty reasonable. But yeah, that's 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 the that's the best place. Second best is your local bookshops. There's in quite a lot of local and independent bookstores as well. Um, so yeah, check that out. And then Excellent. Amazon is is obviously got it. So yeah, why, why not? Yeah, brilliant man, brilliant, brilliant. Well, we'll point people in the right direction. Um, any future plans then? Before I let you go, anything else you have planned for the near future? Uh recovering and then i'm flying busy plotting adventures because i'm stuck on the computer and not being able to do much uh so yeah i'll have a, i'm going to try a big trip again in the autumn this year but yeah i think given the reaction to the book um yeah we'll be looking at some kind of follow-up to it but that won't be in the near future i don't think which is which is exciting but yeah um yeah yeah i suppose it takes time you know you say you started the process about three years ago but if you're going to physically write all these things yourself personally um it's going to take time right to do another 30 odd but then you have another 30 odd done that you could put into a second book right <laughs> yeah but i it's trying to find areas i haven't covered in this one i think is what's on my mind but yeah it's still i think there's this there's, there's, there's a few options of things we could we can do around it and and the, yeah the publisher's having to think about what we could do because it has it has gone down really well so far so we'll we'll see if that continues and, and try and work it out but um yeah, I'd like to ride them all again and do the same sort of process and get another bank of imagery again. And, um, and that, yeah, like you say, it takes time. So, so yeah. it, won't be, it won't be a quick thing. But yeah. 
Excellent, man. Excellent. Now, where can people find out more about you, Ed? Are you on socials and stuff yourself? And Yeah, so the blog I have is called We Love Mountains. Um, so it's welovemountains.net because someone, someone nicked the .com and doesn't use it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. But yeah, .net. Uh, yeah, just search We Love Mountains. It should come up. And then, um, yeah, on Instagram and, and Facebook as well. We'll have a search under that and it should come up. So yeah. Great. Excellent. Excellent, man. No worries. Well, listen, it's been a blast chatting to you. Um, I, I'll, you know, I'm not really into the gravel thing, but I can certainly see the appeal of it for sure. Definitely. Um, I've got a few mates getting into it now, so I probably will end up going that way. A bit <laughs> relax, 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 relax. <laughs> I'll convert you through the, uh, through the book, actually. Yeah, no, well, the book is inspiring, like, for sure. You know, you look at it and you think, wow, like, that is that's it pretty just awesome. A long way. It just looks too far. You're like, ah, oh, geez, it's just, I'm not sure. I'm going to go on the mountain bike instead. Is that yeah. <laughs> I've got 2.5 inch wheels. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it, it is class, man. And I, I hope you all the best success with it. And um, I'm sure you will. It's a beautiful book, like, and, you know, hopefully you don't run into any grizzlies in Scotland because that would be an experience and a half right there. But uh, yeah, and good recovery from the shoulder injury. Um, I know all about that myself. So I hope things get patched up there soon for you, bro. And it's been great chatting to you. Um, and, uh, you know, it's nice to see this kind of thing coming out, you know, of Scotland. And it's nice to see with your experience traveling that you're doing it. Because I think you can really see your travel experience in the book, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah I think it really works. Um so well done, mate. Uh, well done. It's a great, it's a great book. Thanks for all the kind words. It's much appreciated. And yeah, um, thanks for giving me the opportunity to chat about it as well. You're more than welcome, sir. Have a good evening there. All right. Awesome. Thank you. That's a wrap for episode 215, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. I do appreciate you being here. And Ed, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really did enjoy our chat. And as I say, your book is great. Your book is very, very nice. And anybody thinking of getting into the gravel game definitely needs to pick up a copy. Now, if you want to know more, folks, about Ed's book, where you can purchase it, about Ed's Instas, just simply go to the show notes, mtb-tribe.com, where you will find Ed's episode links and everything else there you need to find out more about how to get a book and about Ed and his travels and everything else that we put in those social platforms. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to show your support, the best way is simply by subscribing, rating and reviewing us on whatever podcast platform you listen to your shows on. Every one of your ratings helps boost us on the old algorithms and helps get the podcast out to more people and hopefully build the Irish MTB market that little bit more. If you want to listen to any back episodes, we have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can download the complete bike catalogue listen to every episode for free. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the podcast. You can also get involved on social media. We are at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to get in contact with me directly for anybody you would like to hear on the show or whatever, the best way to do that is by email. You'll find me at info at mtb-tribe.com. And if you've got a minute or two, guys, I would appreciate you going and checking out our new brand, Alta. You will find us online at ridealta.com. As I say, as a brand designed in Ireland, 
hopefully manufactured in Ireland. Some of the products will be for sure that we have in the pipeline. So let's support the local MTB industry. We will be giving back to the local MTB crowd and whatever way we can here. We have a few things in the pipeline. So please go check us out, ridealda.com. Well, that's it for this week, folks. That's all I've got for you. Thanks again to Ed for coming on the podcast. I really did enjoy our chat and I hope you did also. So until next time, as always, guys, get the bikes out, hit those trails and stay MTV stoked.